1 Corinthians chapter 13 tonight, 1 Corinthians 13. We have been looking at love, we're going to continue looking at love, we're beginning to hit the chapter uh, tonight, 1 Corinthians 13. Now, the world talks much about love. It's got a lot to say about love, and it recognizes the need for love, and there are more songs written about love than possibly about any other topic, and I think, you know, that's fairly accurate in saying that. And, and the world talks about it, but the real world doesn't really know much about love. It's got a, a skewed perception of love. And we as his children need to love, because the Bible says that we need to love. The mark of a believer is that they love one another. That's the mark of a believer. But we need to understand biblically what love is and what it looks like. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul gives us a description of love, right? <clears throat> He describes love for, he's going to tell us what it's about. And he's going to start really in chapter 12, in the last verse of the chapter, he says, But covet earnestly the best gifts, yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Now, chapter 13 is sandwiched between chapter 12 and chapter 14. Chapter 12 deals with spiritual gifts. Chapter 14 deals basically with the issue of tongues. And what he's going to do in the middle of it is show you something better. Something better, a more excellent way than gifts, than tongues, than all those things that you you, you could want. And he's going to uh, take this and, and deal with it very thoroughly. Now we're not going to, we don't even hope to get through it all tonight. We're going to introduce it tonight, and then we're going to really start into it uh, next week because we need to, we need to kind of knock some um, <clears throat> wrong notions out of uh, out of it before we actually get going on it. But he's going to spend this chapter uh, <clears throat> describing what love looks like to us. It's really helpful to us. So let's read it. And as I say, we're going to really get into it next week, but we're going to look at the, we're going to introduce it tonight, right? First Corinthians chapter 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Now, what he's saying is if you haven't got love, uh, you don't sound like much at all. <clears throat> There's, 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 you can, you can, you can, you can um, speak wonderfully, but it's just an empty sound in the end. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I'm nothing. Now, that's pretty hard. If I told you today you were nothing, you would be mightily offended with me. Right? Reasonably so. But the apostle here is saying, if we haven't got love, you're nothing. That's... Strong stuff. Uh, verse 3, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Though I give myself as a martyr, and allow my body to be burned, and I give all my things, and God says, even if I do that and I haven't got love, it profits me nothing. No impact, no help, no reward. That's serious stuff here, right? Um, charity suffereth long in this kind. Charity envieth not... Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail, whether there be tongues, they shall cease, whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. 
when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. By the way, uh, the King James Version uses the word charity there to distinguish it from uh, the other words for love, because what you're dealing with is the word agape here, and it uses the word charity. It's that sa- sacrificial love that it's talking about. Right? <clears throat> as a word of prayer. Father, would you bless us tonight as we look to your word and help us, Lord. Uh, Lord, we want to get this thing, but Lord, our hearts are so far from it sometimes. Or would you help us? Would you bless? In Jesus' precious name, amen. All right. <clears throat> the test of a Christian is love, this stuff here, right? Now, and you can get it right in all the other areas and still fail as a Christian if you fail in love. Remember, Jesus said, These, by, the, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. So that apart from love, you can't pass the test. Talking to the Polish church today about, uh, about this stuff. If you, if you had a, uh, if a Polish person comes and has an English test and, uh, you know, they could come and write the most wonderful essay in, essay in Polish, but they would fail because the test is on English. And what Paul is saying is, you know, listen, you can fail in your Christianity apart from love. You know, we've got to get this one. This one's not an optional for us. We've actually got to get this one. We've got to work this one. Now, there's much confusion in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ as far as what love is. Much confusion. Uh, it, it is upside down and back to front. And we need to try and tease through some of that and understand what love actually means, what it is. Love is not the acceptance of everything anyone does. That's clearly not what it's supposed to be, and yet oftentimes that's what it's put forward as. Whatever they do is fine, because we love them. That's not what love is. You know, love is discerning, and there are rules regarding love that we've got to, to, to seek to. Involve. But we do need to understand that we, there's no way we can get away with saying, well, I, I don't, I, I'm just not good at loving. You know, I'm, I'm good at witnessing. Uh, you know, I'm good at studying. I'm good at knowing the word, knowing the answers. But the love one, that, that, that's, for, that, that's for the soppy people. That's for the people, you know, who are interested in that kind of thing. But us, we're, we're tough and we're hard. No, listen, it's, it's an issue for all of us. And by the way, it's not just a New Testament issue. It's a God issue. Right? Let's look at some of it. Right? Now, we're going to do some Bible study tonight. And then I'm going to ask you some questions. Right, Sunday night and all as it is, we're going to get some questions. I want you to look at Leviticus chapter 19, verse 17 through 18. Leviticus 19, verse 17. Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart. Thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor and not suffer sin upon him. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. That's Old Testament law. You're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. By the way, the practice of the Jews and the reality of their scripture were often very different. Right? You know, the, the, the Romans said of the Jews that they hated everybody. And, you know, the, their interpretation of Scripture very often was like that. It was that they, they listen, they just hated everybody. Uh, but they were told they were supposed to love, all right? 
So the whole Old Testament law gets summed up in that one. Um, Look at Romans 13, verse 9. For this thou shalt commit, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet, and if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. <clears throat> it's briefly comprehended, it all comes together in that one verse, thou shalt love thy neighbor uh, as thyself. And look at verse 10, because verse 10 is helpful to us, and we're going to see it more clearly when we come to First Corinthians chapter 13, but it says, love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. That love actually fulfills the law of God. That when you love, it fulfills the law of God. Now, don't you want to fulfill the law of God? I mean, isn't that what you want? You, you want to actually get it right. You want to be right with God. Well, the Bible says that love fulfills the law of God. By the way, the law was not abolished. To understand that, that the law was not abolished. If there was a law that could have made us righteous, it would have been the Old Testament law. And the law, very often, is... Um, is an expression of the heart of God as far as holiness is concerned. But here's a key part for you to understand that love is key to it, Old and New Testament. Okay, love is the capstone, the crowning virtue, the consummation of all other virtues. Look at Galatians chapter 5. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Starts off there. Number one. It goes on down through the rest of the list. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Look with me at Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5 through 7. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that you're working towards, and you're working towards adding to all these things love. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And that's, that word perfect in the Bible means mature or complete. The complete Christian is one who loves. The complete Christian is one who is able to love. Right? So it's the capstone. 
You know, it's it's what you're shooting for. When you get to the place where you can say, you know, listen, I got the Christian thing down. How it's represented in your life is you can love. You can love biblically. <clears throat> All right. Um, look at First Timothy 1 verse 5. Love is the goal of Paul's instruction here. First Timothy 1 and verse 5. Now, the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. So the end of the commandment is love. You know, the commandment really ought to work out love in you. <clears throat> uh, we, we looked at in 1 Corinthians um, that without love, the other gifts really aren't going to do any good. They don't count much. Uh, love is greater than any of the spiritual gifts, even greater than faith and hope. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13. We, we, we just read that a moment ago. Uh, love endures suffering under persecution, and Christians will be persecuted. Look at Matthew 24, verse 10. And then shall many be offended during persecution and shall betray one another and shall hate one another, right? And the idea is that love endures as far as that's concerned. Love is easily lost. In Revelation chapter 2, 1 through 7, uh, the Lord Jesus uh, accuses the church of having left its first love. And you know what? They didn't know it. They didn't know they left their first love. Look at <clears throat> Revelation 2 there, verse 1 through 7. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Listen, this was an active church doing the business, but he's saying to them, you've left your first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. And, and he goes on there. So, love is easily lost. Our love for him. <clears throat> now, of all the graces that you can think of, there isn't one that's more misunderstood. Uh, than this love, right? <clears throat> Constantly we, we, we see the world putting forth false notions of love, right? Hollywood has sold us, and by the way, we're all much more sold on it than we think we are, right? Hollywood has sold us on the fact that love is an emotional feeling. That when I feel love, I know it, because that's the butterflies in the stomach that we're talking about last week, that we feel this love. And you know, <clears throat> listen, it's undoubted that there are feelings associated with love, but love is not primarily a feeling. God did not have warm, fuzzy feelings about you and I when he died on the cross for us because, listen, the reality is we didn't care about him. 
and he knew it. We had made ourselves enemy of, enemies of his, and uh, he knew it. So love is not primarily a feeling, and we need to get our minds away from that, that love is something much deeper and much richer and much more real. Let me give you just a, an easy working <clears throat> definition of love. Love is doing the best thing for the other person. Now, we could expand that. We could make it, you know, longer. We could add to it. But that's kind of a working definition that you can have in your mind. Love is doing the best thing for the other person. Now, the issue with love for us is that it goes across the grain of our natures. Because you and I were born selfish. And guess what? Well, when we got saved, we didn't all of a sudden kind of cast off our selfishness and get to the place where, you know, listen, uh, I'm, uh, I'm a Christian now and I'm just caught up in all this. Listen, you stayed selfish when you got saved. And we are masters at working life out to suit our selfish ends. Masters at it. Right? Listen, here's a quiz for you. Right? Uh, just you think about this. The people that you live with, can you see their selfishness? Now, don't tell us. We don't want to know, right? Because that will be hard for everybody, right? Can you see the selfishness in the people around you? Of course you can, can't you? Now, that's because you're perfect and they're not, isn't it? They can't see any selfishness in you. No, they can see your selfishness too. <clears throat> you see, we can see it in other people. You see, and here's what we do is we just, our selfishness just works so that we work out life to actually suit ourselves. And we really want to get everybody else in gear. And if they would all just meet our needs, we'd be grand. If the rest of them would all just get with the program and work as hard at making my life work for me as I'm working at it, you know what? We'd be fine. Right? What happens in marriage? Marriage is kind of the easiest relation to pick up, uh, to pick on here. Two people get married and they come forth and they make their vows and so on. And they make vows to love each other. Right? But there's kind of a double speak going on usually in people's mind. And what they're doing is, they're actually making a commitment to let the other person love them because that's what they've been after all along. They wanted somebody to love them. So, you know, what? I give you the privilege of loving me until you die. <clears throat> now, listen, I, I, listen, I'm being rotten. I understand that. And there's a whole lot more that goes into it. But you know what? That's our selfish nature. So in the first year of marriage, oftentimes people, you know, some people <clears throat> draw swords and, the, and they butt heads and so on because it's not working out. You know, listen, I married her so she could love me and she doesn't love me very well and she married him so he could love her and he's not loving her very well. So, you know what, they, they, they end up with, with difficulty. And by the way, that happens in Christian marriages all the time. All the time. And you know, you know what happens in marriage? In marriage, God gives you this wonderful opportunity to die to self. And for you to stop looking out for self and for you to end up looking out for others. And, you know, God knows that we won't do love as a way of nature, that we do love when he presses us into it. And that's what happens in marriage. In marriage, you start off with a feeling, but you end up, if you stick it out, with love. That's God's plan. That's what God is working out in your life, that you end up with, a, that you end up working out a relationship that's loving. All right. <clears throat> so we need to understand that the world's idea of love is very different from God's idea of love. God's idea of love is you giving yourself. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Loving and giving go together. Are there feelings involved? 
yeah, there'll be feelings involved. But you know what? Whether the feelings are involved or not is not the issue. The issue is that you love. Because that's what you're called to do. Here's what happens, though. God has a wonderful way of working out the feelings if we'll do the love. Remember last week we talked about loving your enemies? By the way, <clears throat> let me rehearse this with you because it's, it's worth getting into your heart. We talked last week about three ways that you could love your enemies. Did any one of them have anything to do with feeling? You don't know, do you? Let's go back. Matthew chapter 5. I love Matthew chapter 5 when it deals with loving your enemies because it's so practical. You can do it. Matthew chapter 5. <clears throat> Verse 44, but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you. All right? Now, they are not separate things. Love your enemies there is actually defined for you in the three actions you're supposed to do. So what are the three actions you're supposed to do as far as loving your enemy? Give me, give me one of them here. You, pardon? You, bless them. Now, what did we say bless them meant? Bless them that curse you. They're going to say all kinds of rotten things about you, but you're going to say good things about them to yourself and to others. That's not easy, but you can do it. Right? You're not going to say bad things about them because that's just not right. That's not loving. You're going to love them even though they don't love you. These are your enemies, remember. These are not your friends that we're talking about here. It's easy to say good things about your friends. This is you saying good things about people that really don't have your good at heart. Okay, so that's the first one. Right? You're going to bless them that curse you. What's the second one? Do good. Can you do good to somebody who's mean to you? Well, you can, but man, it goes against your nature, doesn't it? <clears throat> Listen, you know what? In order for you to do good to somebody who, who, who doesn't like you and is out to get you, you have to kind of die to your nature and be alive unto God's nature. It has to be kind of God doing it through you, doesn't it? But you can, you can bless people that, that uh, don't love you. You can do good to them. And what's the third thing? Pray for them. Listen, I love it. Those things are so simple and straightforward and practical for us to do. I love the fact that Jesus didn't say, I want you to feel good about them all the time, never have a bad feeling about them, because I bomb out on that one. You bomb out on that one. But he didn't tell me I was supposed to feel anything. He told me I was supposed to do something. And the things he told me to do, I can do. I can bless. I can do good. And I can pray. And you know what happens? When I bless, do good, and pray, I often end up with feelings that are right, the right kind, that are good. Right? So when it comes to love and the, how we're to love and what we're to do as far as love is concerned, we've got to understand, first of all, that it looks different to the picture the world has given us of it. Let me say this to you. It looks different to the picture the Christian world has given you, too. Because the Christian world spins off an idea of love that's kind of weak and limp and lame and really, when you examine it, very often unbiblical. Now, here's where, here's where we get to the nitty-gritty of what we're looking at tonight. Uh, we're going to look at what does love look like. Okay, what does love look like? You ever, you ever wonder that? You're dealing with somebody and you think to yourself, now, 
What does love do now? <clears throat> How does love look in this situation? You know, I'm supposed to love everybody, but but what what does love look like in 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 this situation? Right. So let me throw you out some things, um, and you tell me what love looks like in this situation. All right, you have a disobedient child. What does love look like? Come on, talk to me. You got to talk to me tonight, right? The rod of correction. Right? Now, how many of you were spanked as a child? All right, a lot of you, right? How many of you thought the most living, loving thing your mother or father could do for you was put you across their knee and whoop your rear end? <laughs> and you didn't feel that, did you? You know, as a child, I understand, you know, that there's a connection between the heart and the, uh, you know, and the rear end. And ultimately, you do feel love because you feel like you're corrected and you're, you, you, you know, you're trained. But you know what? In the moment... When heaven and earth collided in your life and dad took the, or whatever he took to you, you didn't feel love. But was it love? Okay, look at Proverbs 13, verse 24. By the way, the scripture ultimately is the decider. Proverbs 21, what did I say? No, Proverbs 13, verse 24. Okay, <clears throat> he that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. Right, now listen, the world would tell you it's completely different. How could you say you love your child when you take a rod to your child? But taking a rod to your child, God says, is a demonstration of your love for the child. And he actually says it himself, himself in Hebrews chapter 12. He says, listen, he chastens his children whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. He says, if he doesn't chasten you, he's not your father. That love means he's going to deal with you. And loving your child means you're going to deal with them. Right now, listen, that's just kind of, as, as, as we get to us, get started here, you know, love does not always look like love to the person who's being loved. Love does not always kind of hit your, ah, that's so sweet, button. That's Hollywood. That's not real love. Okay? <clears throat> now, um, let me throw another one out to you. Somebody who has hurt you deeply and made themselves your enemy and is dangerous for you to be around. What does love like for that person? What does love like, look, look like as far as that person is concerned? Fine. Okay, prayer. Doing good. And blessing. It does not say you're supposed to be around them. Okay? It does not say you're supposed to be around them. By the way, <clears throat> there are times when somebody has hurt you and they need to actually be called into account legally for it. That's just the truth. That's the reality. Somebody gets abused and there's a fear of somebody else being abused by it. Legally, the person can need to be brought into account for it. But listen, and I know this one is tough. 
You may have to legally bring someone to account for something they did, but you've still got to love them. Understand that the two do not actually conflict there. Because what happens for us with this issue of love is that sometimes the thing conflicts for us. But, listen, I've dealt with some people as far as abuse is concerned. And you know, the hardest thing about abuse is the bitterness that gets going in somebody's soul over the fact that someone's abused them. I mean, it's hard. It's, I mean, those are hard things. Those are, those are, you know, things that, 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 that hurt you deep in your person. But you can't stop loving. Although it seems ridiculous to you, do you know what? Loving the person biblically. Doing them good, blessing them, and praying for them will actually preserve your soul by getting, from getting destroyed by bitterness. So no matter what they've done to you, you've got to actually love them anyway. But that doesn't mean that you may not need to uh, bring them into account legally. <clears throat> All right. Okay. What about a scorner? What's a scorner? A scorner is somebody who scorns you, scorns the things of God, scorns the things of value to you, scorns what's right. How is love going to look to a scorner? How, how, how are you going to love the scorner? Now, I, I, I'll warn you ahead of time. There's a catch in this one. Fun? Cast out the scorner. How is that love? How is it loving someone to cast out the scorner? Well, here's what we got to do. we got to balance commands. Right? What's the first command? Okay. You're supposed to love the Lord your God. If you love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, are you going to obey him? By the way, is it love your neighbor and love God on the same level? Is it? I'm going to think about it. No, it's love God and your neighbor. Right? <clears throat> so that when it comes to what seems a conflict to you, you're going to love God and do what he wants you to do, even though it's hard for somebody else. So you're going to cast out the scorner. Okay, now, actually, let's look at a verse here, and we'll see it. Proverbs 22, verse 10. In fact, let me give you a bunch of verses here. Proverbs 9, verse 7 says, He that reproveth the scorner, get him to, to himself shame. And he that rebuketh the wicked man, get him to himself a blot. Proverbs 9, verse 8 says, Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. Proverbs 13, verse 1 says, A wise son heareth his father's instruction, instruction, but a scorner heareth not rebuke. Proverbs 14, verse 6, A scorner seeketh wisdom, and findeth it not, but knowledge is easy unto him that understandeth. Proverbs 15, verse 12, A scorner loveth not one that approveth him, neither will he go unto the wise. Proverbs 19, verse 25 says, Smite a scorner, and the simple will beware, and reprove one that hath understanding, and he will understand knowledge. Uh, Proverbs 21, 11 says, When the scorner is punished, the simple is made wise, and when the wise is instructed, he receiveth knowledge. 
Um, and it goes on. Um, dealing with, with, with the scorner, right? Proverbs 22, verse 10, cast out the scorner and contention shall go out, yea, strife and reproach shall cease. Right? When it comes to dealing with a, scar, a scorner, you have two rules you gotta bear. First of all, you gotta love God first. And secondly, you've gotta look at the damage he's doing to the simple. Because the simple can become a scorner, and the simple becomes a scorner by being around a scorner. And so, in order to love God and protect the simple, you cast out the scorner. Now, that's hard, and that doesn't look like love. Now, what does it mean to cast him? It means you listen, you put him out. He just can't be around. That's it. You're not going to have him around. Now, that's hard for us to do. But if we're going to love, it's something we have to do. What do we do sometimes? Oh, look, that's too hard. I don't want to do that to him, and I don't want to hurt him. I want to love him. So I'll... I'll I'll keep him in and I'll look after him and I'll try and help him and so on. By the way, there's not a verse in the Bible that tells you you can help a scorner. Find it for me. I haven't found it yet. There's not a verse in the Bible that tells you you can actually help a scorner. A scorner is a scorner. And he needs to be cast out. And you say, well, is there no hope for him? Well, when somebody gets to the place where they're a scorner, it doesn't look like there is. Now, there's always hope with God. But it doesn't look like there is. But you know what you've got to do? You've got to love God enough to obey him. And you've got to love others enough to protect them from the scorner. And so you cast him out. And you don't have a choice. And you say, but that doesn't look very loving. And people aren't going to like me if I did. That doesn't matter. You've got to love God and love others first, even though it's going to cost you. Guess what? You know what? That becomes love. It's going to cost me. I'm going to look bad. That doesn't matter. You've got to love God enough to obey him and to cast out the scorner. Now, see how complicated this thing gets? But it's not really complicated. If you just apply the principles, I love God first. If I love God enough, I'm going to obey him. And you know, I'm always going to be right when I come out in God's side and obey God. I'm always going to be right. If the whole world is against me and I obey God, I'm always going to come out right. Okay? All right. Uh, Another one for you. All right, now this this is totally, um, <clears throat> this is just an idea, uh, you know, that, that could never happen, right? But we'll say you're the king. How many of you would like to be king here, right? Val would like to be king. <laughs> You'd like to be king. We'll say you were a legitimate king. You were the king of Tala, all right? <laughs> now, that's not very uh, very wonderful, and very, but Tala is a sovereign state uh, that belongs to itself, and you are the king. And you are the government, and you are the law of Tala. Sound like fun? <laughs> that does. I mean, all, all these people coming to come, coming to uh, pay homage to you and to curry your favor and all that sounds very good, right? Go, right. Well, you are the government, right? <clears throat> and they bring before you a man who has just murdered somebody. What are you going to do? Now, you're the ultimate authority in this situation. There isn't, you know, apart from God, there isn't another authority. What are you going to do? And they have witnesses. They saw this man <clears throat> stab somebody. What are you going to do? Isn't that tough? What are you going to do? Sorry? Forgive them? Send them to prison? What does the Bible say? 
What does the Bible say? Okay, the, the government, now do you get that one? That's, listen, by the way, who wants to be a king now? <laughs> Aren't you glad you're not a king? <laughs> uh, which, now listen, biblically, in that case, you have the responsibility to exercise capital punishment because that's what God says. Well, say the guy says he's sorry. You still have to execute him because that's what God says. God says that he that taketh, sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. The ruler beareth not the sword in vain. That's the, the, the function of government. Now, I understand that's the totally hypothetical situation. It's never going to happen. You're never going to be in that place, you know, because we live in a different day. But understand that if we're to take and apply what God says and do it God's way, that's what you're going to Now, listen, your soul and my soul says, <gasps> I don't want to do that. In fact, I don't want to be king anymore. I'm resigning <clears throat> as being king because I don't want to be the one, you know, that's saying he's got to die. But if you were the king, that's what you'd have to say. And you say that's not very loving. Well, it actually is. It's very loving to the other people that he won't be able to murder. It's very loving to a society that you send out the signal to murder is not acceptable here. It just will not be accepted here. It is very loving to those people. And you say, well, what have you got it wrong? Well, you know, there are the, the, um, they're supposed to be the witnesses and so on. It's possible that you would get it wrong, but it's still a command of God. That the ruler is supposed to do that. And that is, again, loving God and loving others. And you understand, this thing of love is not just, you know, some emotional feeling that just kind of, you know, <clears throat> rolls off the end of your lips and kind of makes you feel good and makes you look good. It's not something like that. Love is going to make you go into the depths of your being and pull up stuff that you didn't really want to see there and deal with it. Because love is very real and very tough. And the problem for us is that we're much more in, influenced by a culture than we think we are. Much more. Our culture has a much greater impact on us <clears throat> than we actually imagine. And we've got to have a biblical mindset and not just a cultural mindset. Love is much tougher than being about a feeling. Okay, <clears throat> What about you're presented with the case you've got an immoral person in the church? What are you supposed to do with them? But that's so mean. You mean they can't come to the preaching, they can't be blessed, they can't be part of the church and everything else? You mean you're supposed to shun them in the street? That the only thing you bring up with them is their sin? Is that, is that real? Is that what you're supposed to do? Well, what does God say? Oh man, this, this one bites, doesn't it? This one gets hard. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5.
First Corinthians 5, verse, verse 1. Let's read through all of it here. There's only 12, 13 verses to it. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. And ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he that done this deed might be taken away from among you. For verily, for I verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already that as though I were present concerning him that hath so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together, and my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. What are you going to do with them? You're going to listen. You're going to put them out of the church. You're going to deliver them uh, <clears throat> unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. That's tough stuff. That doesn't look very loving to me. Right? <clears throat> Let's continue on, though. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? You only have to put a little piece of leaven into the bread, and listen, it leavens the whole thing. And what he's saying here is, listen, a little bit of sin in the church will grow and affect all of it. Now, why is it important that the church be kept pure? Tell me, why is it important that the church be kept pure? Because God is a holy God. Why? Any other reasons here? Pardon? That's his purpose. It's to be the bride of Christ. And he wants to present unto himself an unspotted bride. A clean, a holy bride. This is important to Jesus. Listen, Jesus said, I will build my church. It's his church. Now, you and I have the task set before of us in as much as we are able of protecting the purity of the church. By the way, uh, isn't it a bit hypocritical for us to put somebody out who's got impurity in their lives when we have impurity in our own lives? Isn't that a bit hypocritical? So every time we have to deal with somebody as far as putting them out is concerned, we need to understand, you know, the finger's pointing at us. Are we clean? Are we right? Are we holy? Are we what we should be? Right? <clears throat> but the, the, the deal is, you and I, as the church, are charged to protect the holiness of this church. By the way, that means that if I know of something that's wrong in the church, I should deal with it. Yeah? What about if you know something wrong that I, that's wrong that I don't know is wrong? Should, should it be dealt with? Okay, it should be dealt with. Because the church should be kept pure. Key issue. This is not a small one. This is because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, look at verse 7. Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And he goes on, then he says, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous or extortioners, or with idolaters, for then you must needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company of any man that is called a brother, be a fornicator, or covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such an one known not to eat. For what am I to do to judge them that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within. But them that are without, God judgeth. Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Now listen. What you're supposed to do to maintain the purity of the church is when somebody's put out of the church, you keep them at arm's length. You shouldn't love them, should you? No, you always love. But love to somebody who's put outside the church looks different again 
Love to somebody who's put outside the church is like this. Listen, I love you and you need to be right with God, but you need to repent. And by the way, the Bible shows us what repentance looks like. Look at, look, look at me in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Because we can take somebody back. Sorry, verse chapter 2. Paul is dealing with the... <clears throat> this, they, they did put this man out of the church, and Paul is dealing with it in First Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter 2. He says, But if any have caused grief, he hath not grieved me, but in part that I may not o- overcharge you all. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment which is inflicted of many, so that contrariwise ye ought to rather forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch grief, grief overmuch sorrow. Wherefore, I beseech you that you would confirm your love towards him. Now, <clears throat> what happened was they put this guy out of the church, and he got right. And he got right, and his <clears throat> he was so right that, listen, he was broken over his sin and broken over what he had done and broken over where he was. And Paul writes and tells them to take him back. We can take somebody back, but there has to be repentance. Now, repentance, the heart of repentance is coming down on God's side of the issue. It was wrong. I should never have done it. I can't believe I did that. And that's the only way we can take somebody back into fellowship. Now understand that, because listen, I'm I'm the pastor. We're the church. We've got to deal with issues as a church. That until somebody is completely repentant and brought before the church and voted back into membership, they're not a member again. And they can't be treated as such. And you say, Pastor, that, that's uncomfortable. Yeah, that's uncomfortable because our mindset is that we want this love to be a nice, easy, happy thing. But God says, no, I want you to do it my way. And obeying God is always the most loving thing you can do. Always. Bar none. You see, this man would have happily continued in his sin until Paul had them put him out of the church. But you know what? When, they, when he was put out of the church, his heart got right. And what we got to do is we got to understand that when God says do it and we do it, it may not look like love. It may not feel like love to the person, but it ultimately is love. So remember, when it comes to discipline in the church, you've got two thoughts going on. First one is purge out the old leaven. Get rid of it. Get rid of the sin. Don't accept the sin. Don't warn to the sin. Don't accept it because if you do, it will infect the rest of the church. And the church belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ, and we want to keep it pure and clean and holy. And the second thing is, listen, it's always best to do for somebody what God said do. And let God have his way in the heart and life of that person. But there needs to be a true repentance, a recognition of the sin and the wickedness of the sin, and a turning around as far as that's concerned, before somebody can be taken back in again. And... Listen, that one rests on you as much as it rests on me. You've got to deal with the person right. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean you can't talk to somebody who's under discipline? No. But you know what you're going to talk to them about? Sin. Their sin. That's what you're going to talk to them about. You're going to deal with, you're going to deal with them on the basis of their sin. That's what you're always going to, going to be talking about. That's going to be the extent of your communication with them. You're not going to have fellowship with them. You're not, they're not going to be brought back in and kind of sort of like a, like a friend. Um, <clears throat> they're going to be dealt with as far as their sin is concerned. Can somebody under, who's under discipline come to church? Yeah, they can. But it makes it very awkward for the church and very awkward for them. They can come to church 
and they can be under the preaching because that can be a help to them as far as turning around. But they can't be in fellowship in the church. They can't have that warm arm of fellowship around them. And listen, that hurts. But that's what's necessary in it. Because what we need to see is, we need to see somebody going from the place where sin is okay and sin is acceptable to the place where they come clean of it. And it's wrong, and they come down on God's side. Um, These are hard, nitty-gritty issues where you actually apply love. And it's not easy. Ultimately, you need the Holy Spirit to enable you as far as applying love is concerned. You need the Holy Spirit to, uh, to, to help you because it's tough. Those are difficult things. And we're going to look at the description of love and how it's applied. Uh, <clears throat> but we need to understand that, first of all, we can't avoid love. If you don't love, you're wrong. And it doesn't matter who it is. You've got to love them. Right? You can't avoid, avoid love. <clears throat> but we also got to understand that Applying love takes wisdom of the Word of God. And I haven't covered all the issues tonight. There's no possible way I could come across all the issues. You're, you're, you're going to have to take the, the issues for yourself. Remember this. You're supposed to love the Lord your God with all your heart first. And then your neighbor as yourself second. So when it comes to an issue between doing what God wants you to do and doing what your neighbor wants you to do, you're always going to do what God wants you to do. When it comes to you doing... What your neighbor wants you to do, you're always going to take it in the light of what God says. Because does your neighbor know what's best for him? Christine, does Aaron know what's best for her? <laughs> you know, listen, does, does, does Connor or she know what's best for them? No, no, listen, you know what? You do what's best for them. Sometimes they like it, sometimes they don't like it. Even going to bed can be a, uh, can be, can be war in a home because what you're going to do is you're, you're going to do what's best for the child, not what the child particularly wants at that time. When somebody demands something of you, you've got to weigh it against what God says, and you've got to do what's best in the situation, not what you feel like doing, not what you think they want you to do. Loving means doing what's best for them in the long run, and that's a tough one to call sometimes. Loving never means you doing what you feel like doing for them. <laughs> That's not, what it, that, that's not what it means. It means you doing what's best for them. It's always going to go across the grain with you in the sense, look, sometimes it's going to be easy for you. Uh, it's, it's easy to love some people. But it's going to mean you going across the grain as far as what you want is concerned to do what's best for them. For God so loved that he gave. It cost him. <clears throat> and when you love, it's going to cost you. All right, any questions tonight? Any, any questions that you want to answer tonight? Because I'm not sure I can answer them because this is a deep uh, topic. But, <clears throat> but we do need to grapple with it, and we need a biblical mindset when it comes to this thing. Because if we go with the flow of our day, we'll have all kinds of unbiblical notions floating around as far as love is concerned, and we'll be ruined as a people and as a church. All right, any questions that I, that I can help you with here? <clears throat> Anthony. How do you mean, Anthony? 
Well, <clears throat> evil communications corrupt good manners. Principle. So you don't want to be around somebody who's breaking the law and who's doing wrong. What you do is you shun them. You walk away from them. Now, uh, I realize there are some relationships that are not as easy as that for you to actually step away from, uh, and that's, you know, that's that's got to be worked out on that basis. But uh, the basic principle would be that you, you you don't spend time around somebody like that. You know, what about a scorner in the world? Well, you can't cast out the scorner in the world, can you? So listen, what you do is you separate yourself from the scorner. I don't want to be around you. You're just a scorner. Because, look, I guarantee you, you might not think it. You might say, I can handle it. You can't. A scorner chipping away at you erodes you. A scorner chipping away in your life will, will just tear you down. Somebody who's constantly critical of God and critical of the church and critical of the Bible, it will have an impact on you. You, you just can't avoid it. So, you know, what you're going to do is you, you're going to limit relationships like that. Some of them you'll walk away from. Some of them you'll say, listen, I can't be involved. And some of them you, you just won't go certain places with. Like some of us have parents that, you know, that listen, they can, they can be, uh, they can get in a role. Uh, and what you're going to do is you're not going to go places with them. <clears throat> you know, you're going to shut down conversations with them purposefully because you don't want to hear what they got to say. And that's, that's hard, but that's what you got to do. All right, does that answer your question, Anthony? Okay, anybody else with a question? Alan. Well, the love, the love words intermingle in the Bible, right? The love of family is that warm-hearted affection is kind of phileo, you know what I mean? It's, uh, and that's the word brotherly love. It's what it's shown as in, the, in the King James. And, you know, listen, you can have that warm-hearted family affection towards somebody, right? But warm-hearted family affection dries up when you have a rebellious teen, and agape kicks in, right? You know what I mean? That you're not doing it now because it feels good and nice and happy. You're doing it because it's the right thing to do because you love this kid. And you're going to do right by them. So <clears throat> they kind of intermingle like that. You know what I mean? <clears throat> and, you know, even with somebody you love, there's going to be times when it's sacrificial what you're going to do. You know, <clears throat> you get married and uh, and you have a wife and the wife gets sick and the wife can't give anything anymore. Well, you know what? Uh, warm-hearted affection alone won't do it there. There's going to be a sacrificial element in you taking care of that spouse. Right, so the two go together. Right? Uh, or, or they intermingle. Let's put it that way. Okay? Anybody else? Yes, David. To which? Yeah, that was bad, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm saying is, I don't get to, 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 to,
Well, let me give you another example because that one's going to throw everybody, right? So <laughs> let me, let's see if this is what you mean. Let's, you know, we'll say you got Johnny and you want Johnny to clean his room and listen, you're nailing Johnny and Johnny's got to clean his room and you say, Johnny, it's going to get clean, it's going to get clean by 12 o'clock or you are in big trouble, your life ends. Uh, when the clock strikes 12, your life ends. Is that what your dad's like, Johnny, is it? No, he's much nicer than that, isn't he? <laughs> All right. But, you know, you might not, and so Johnny's room's in a state, you might get in and help him with the room. Is that what you're thinking? Okay, well, it, it, here's the problem for us, and this is for all of us. When you extend the boundary of it, right, when you say to the child, okay, if you don't have it done, you're going to get spanked. All right, and give me one more warning, and if you don't have it done, you're going to get spanked. What happens is the child rapidly learns there's leeway in this thing, and you're not giving a clear signal. So if you give a clear signal in those situations, look, here's what we're doing, here's the cutoff time, it needs to be done by then. And if you're consistently giving that clear signal, then everybody knows what you're doing. Right? So, but I, but I think there are ways you can help. I think you can, you can step in and you can help and you can show c- compassion in those situations sometimes uh, and be a help in them. All right. Y- yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, you can't cast out your wife, right? <laughs> just, just understand that. Even if she's a scorner, you're kind of, you're kind of stuck in the situation. And really, you know, when it, when it, when it comes to a child, um, now, there is a time that comes when you can't cast, cast a child out. By the way, uh, folks, we need to understand this, that our children live in our homes, and yes, we've got a responsibility to them, but our children live in our homes, and they're under our rules, they're under our jurisdiction, and they have to follow the rules. And that's a tough one for kids. Listen, if you live in somebody's home, I have the decency to understand that they pay the bills, they call the shots. That's just the way it is. Uh, <clears throat> so, But there comes a time with a child when the child's going to be a scorner and so on, and, and you, you, you say to them, listen, it's time for you to find a place of your own because you're not living here and doing that. Right? <clears throat> now, that's a tough decision for any parent to make. But there comes a time when you have to make that decision because if you don't, you ruin your family. That's a tough one to come down on. It's a tough one to do. And you know, you know, obviously you can't kick a 12-year-old out uh, <clears throat> to fend for themselves. But there comes a time when, listen, somebody's tearing everything else that you're doing down. You say, look, this is not going to happen. You're going to do, do right in the situation. And if you're not going to do it, you're going to find, you're going to fend for yourself and look after yourself. Now, Kids, by the way, do understand that money doesn't grow on trees. Sometimes they act like that, but that's just because parents give it to them like it grows on trees, right? Uh, but they can understand that money doesn't grow on trees. And they rapidly understand, too, that there aren't, you know, hosts of homes with their doors open, uh, just people wanting to take care of them and love them and give them and buy them shoes and clothes and send them to school and so on. And so they need to understand, listen, there's kind of a quid pro pro here that, listen, you're living in my house, you're going to do what's right. That's just it. It's not like you're holding the axe, otherwise I'm going to kick you out of the house, but you are going to do what's right because you're living in my house and that's the way it is. And that's reasonable, normal justice in the situation. So that you have to have control of the home. You know, sometimes you've got war to have control of the home. But you can't ever abdicate control of the home. By the way, who's responsible for the home? Who's in charge of the home? Who's supposed to have control of the home? 
Pardon? Father. Father. Dad isn't ultimately responsible. If the home is not under control, God says, hey, what are you doing there? The home is supposed to be under control. And you have to maintain that. And I realize, you know, uh, in the day and age we live in, that's not easy. By the way, in biblical times, it was much easier. What you just did was you took your rebellious son to the elders of the ga- at the gate. Uh, you told them, this is, this is my son. He won't obey me. He won't obey his mother. And they said, that's okay. Leave him with us and we'll deal with him. And they stoned him. <clears throat> now, obviously that doesn't happen today. But that's the heart of God. And by the way, do you know why it was done? It was done to purge out evil in the land. It was done so that the evil didn't get perpetrated. Now, we'd probably have a very small church if that, were, that had been exercised a few years ago. Uh, <laughs> but, you know what? Ultimately, and the reality is, that there wouldn't be so many rebellious kids uh, if that kind of a law was in place. Now, it's not in place, and I'm not advocating for it, okay? Don't, 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 don't get me wrong on that one. I'm just saying that's what was done uh, in the Old Testament. And that demonstrated the heart of God. By the way... There is no peace with a rebellious child. You can't make peace with a rebellious child. You just can't. Right? <clears throat> the, the only peace there can be is when the rebellious child is yielding, is submitting. Don't fight every battle. Don't make every battle an issue. But you've got to come to the place where, listen, the rebellious child cannot get away with it. It's got to be horribly uncomfortable to be rebellious in your home. Right? Tough things. Again, love, though. You're loving the child enough not to let them get away with it. Uh, You've got to deal with them. Don't some of you wish God had done that in your that you had a parent that did that in your life that would not let you get away with it, that just nailed you to the floor? Um, <clears throat> by the way, do you know the best time to nail a child to the floor? Starting at about one. Working hard in the early years, and it gets easier as you go along. But the best time uh, to deal with a rebellious teenager is you know, before they're five. After that, it gets harder. It gets progressively harder year by year. So parents, you've got small children in the home. Um, have at it. Do the business. Do it now because it will get harder as they get older. You know, a rebellious two-year-old, uh, it's kind of funny. But that rebellion that's in a two-year-old goes unchecked. A rebellious 15-year-old is a whole different deal. Um, <clears throat> a rebellious 15-year-old can put your life in a spin. All right. Uh, does that answer your question? Okay. Anybody else with a question? Folks, these are tough things. And these are things as believers we're called to actually apply love to. And it's not easy. You know, it's not easy. You're going to need the wisdom of God and the word of God to actually work out what love like, looks like in those situations. Get it wrong and you store up a holocaust for yourself. You, you, you've got to come down on God's side if you've got to work at it. We're supposed to be students of the word. We need to do it God's way. All right. Anybody else with a question? Christine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know what you mean. Um, but, you know, our, our personalities are all different when it comes down to it. Really what it needs is it needs spirit-controlled. 
you can be compassionate and do discipline. It's just harder. Because <laughs> you can feel what you're given. By the way, look, when you're dealing with your child, it should not be, you know, that you know, you're thinking about something else and you're just kind of laying into them. I mean, kids are going to get a hard time, have a hard time with that. <clears throat> you know, it ought to be. Look, you ought not to have to spank every day. That's too much on everybody. And there may be those rare occasions when you have to, uh, when you have to spank a kid several times in one day. But they should be rare. Chris and Zoe called me one night. They were at their wits' end. Um, <clears throat> Christopher, uh, every night, they would put him to bed. Every night, Christopher would get up, turn on the light, and read a book. <clears throat> right? You know, Christopher is, I think, three at this stage. Uh, was he three at that stage? And, you know, so I, 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 and, you know they're spanking him, and, they, and, and they're just weary spanking him. And I said, look, you gotta, you got to box smart in this thing, right? Take the light bulb out. <laughs> you know, put him to bed, take the light bulb out, and walk out, and he won't be able to do it anymore. Right, because you don't want to be constantly going after kids. Because kids get confused. Do your computer ever get confused? You know, you put so many things into it, it gets confused, and you have to switch it off and start it again. Do you know, kids are like that. They get confused sometimes. So you, you need to deal with them, but it needs to be in such a way that when you've dealt with your child, the message has gone home. It's clear. It's crystal clear. It's sharp. They know this is not acceptable. Boom. And so in order... Maximum impact needs to be rare. Now, I'm not saying withhold spanking your child. I'm saying when you do, it's got to achieve results. It's got to achieve such, achieve such results that you can look back and you can say, now look, we don't want to go there again. Do that. And child goes, no, we don't want to go there. There's, 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 there's got to be that impact on the child so that you're not constantly in emotional turmoil because you've got to spank the child. Because... The truth is we're not able for that. We just kind of bomb out on that one. You know, so that when you actually deal with something, you deal with it and it's dealt with and the situation has changed and the memory uh, is inserted and the child is saying, I don't ever go there again. A child should never come away from a spanking smiling. The parent that lets a child walk away from a spanking smiling needs a spanking themselves. <clears throat> the child should come away from a spanking, broken. And that, I understand, that's, that's not fun, that's not easy to achieve sometimes, but it's absolutely essential for the child that you actually deal with the situation sufficiently that the child knows this won't fly. Now, <clears throat> I don't know how... how if you need help with that, come and talk to me about it because I don't, I don't, don't, don't go after it as far as everybody is concerned. But you have to actually come to the place where the child goes, that was not worth it. I am never doing that again. That was just dreadful. And, I, you know, for some kids, that takes you waving a paddle. And they immediately kind of collapse. For other kids, you've got a session on your hand. But you have got to achieve that. Every time you spank has to be productive. In other words, the child has to yield. They just have to yield. Right? So you've you, you got to work on that one. That, that will prevent you from being in the place, you know. And I'm telling you, that is, that is gut-wrenchingly emotional. But it ought not to be that regular. If we're getting it right and doing it right, it ought not to be that regular. Um, <clears throat> it ought to be that we can do it once. And I'll tell you what. Uh, they know about it. And that's, and, and by the way, I don't want to go, go along about this, that's not, you know, pain is not the only weapon in your arsenal 
when it comes to dealing with a child. Because if you do that, you're likely to really hurt them. You know, pain, and, and by the way, some kids have a high pain threshold. Okay. <clears throat> you know, um, I always I always think of poor Hugh Daly's teachers and how, how they were trying to, trying to deal with him when he was a kid, right? Because he was not going to give in no matter what. That right, Hugh? <laughs> you know, kids have a high pain threshold. There needs to be more than pain. There needs to be a drama involved. And I don't mean just, you know, a makey-up drama. There needs to be a drama involved in the sense that, listen, okay, you did wrong. Now, why did I tell you what happened if you did wrong? Why do I have to deal with this? Because of God. What does God say about this? And you talk to them about what God says, and you talk to them about some issue from the Bible, maybe, about what it says about it. And you talk to them about the consequences in their lives of you not dealing with it. And it can be real stuff. You know, Ruthie told, Ruthie told a lie and got dealt with for it. And then, um, I shouldn't tell all these stories. I'm going to have to stop telling all these stories on my grandchildren, right? Uh, but Ruthie told a lie and got dealt with it. And then, uh, a while later, she told another lie. <clears throat> and she was wailing. Everybody's going to say, here comes Ruthie, the liar. <laughs> now, that was something Oriel had told her. That if she, if she tells lies, people are going to say, look, here comes Ruthie, the liar. You know, it actually got in for her, actually connected for her. But there needs to be a drama involved in it so that the kid understands this is the end of the world. And now I'm going to have to spank you. And now we're going to have to deal with this issue. And I don't want to be spanking you. I want things to be nice and sweet and happy. And listen, you know, you're doing these things and you're making it that I have to spank you. No anger. You know, you're upset over their sin, but you're not, you know, spitting nails at them angry. No anger involved in this. Now you're upset. Now I'm going to have to deal with it. And, and if I don't deal with it, God's going to be upset with me. You know, God's involved. God's all over this situation. And they understand this, this, this is huge. This is big. And then you go and do the business. Now, if you get it right, by the time you come to do the business, they're half broken already. Because they understand this is not going to fly and, you know, <clears throat> you know they're just going to wreck their own lives and they're, they're breaking your heart over it. And uh, then, then you do the business of dealing with them and you end up ultimately, and you know, I'm talking in nice easy terms and some of you are on the cold face dealing with this. It's not always as easy as this. You, you end up dealing with a child and you end up with a child who's broken and who loves you after it's all over. It's amazing. I mean, they just want things to be right between you. They, 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 they want to get things sweet between you again. Right? And, they love, and, and, you know, in their, in their little minds, they're never doing it again. And by the way, the younger they are, the easier it is to get them. But they don't walk away hardened. You just made the next session ten times worse. They walk away broke, and you've got to do whatever it takes. And you, listen, you, you, when it comes to dealing with children, you need wisdom and you need mercy from God because there's no other way to do it. Uh, <clears throat> but you cry out to him. But you love them enough to stay at it with them and to deal with them. And listen, the dividends are wonderful. But that's God's way. He that loveth his child chasteneth his child. And by the way, when you're dealing with they're not going to feel this is a wonderful demonstration of your love. Tell them, I'm doing this because I love you. I'm doing this because I don't want you growing up the kind of person who just does these things. I'm doing this because I love... And listen, it's a whole different thing than the abuse of the world. It's something that's going to be such a help to your child. But deal with them. All right? Help? No?
Okay? <laughs> Here's what I'm saying to you. You're going to have to cross over your nature to do this because your nature is to be merciful. Right? Um, and without getting hard. But you shouldn't have to be doing it all the time. When it happens, and the fact that you have to cross over your nature and the fact that you say, I hate this, but I'm doing it anyway, is actually part of the impact of what you're doing. Right? <clears throat> you know, that's love. That's love stepping beyond what I feel and what I want. Because there's not a person in this room that loves confrontation. We don't. They're the rare person, but we don't like confrontation. And we don't like confrontation with our kids. We want things to be nice and sweet and happy. And you have to step over yourself to do it. All right, anybody else got a question? We should close in prayer and go to the Lord's table here. All right, so what we've looked at tonight, I suppose, is how love plays out in hard situations. And they are hard situations, and it needs love for you to play them out in them. And by the way, you may disagree. You may say, listen, he's off his rocker on that. Check it out in the Bible. You have to be biblical in your thinking. Your gut may say, I can't go with you on that. I can't go with putting someone to, to, to death. Check it out in the Bible. That's what God says. You're not going to come up with a better plan than God's. Check it out in the Scripture. Check out what the Scripture says. Be biblical in your thinking, and the application of love is going to be much easier for you. All right, let's bow for prayer. Father, we thank you for this evening. Thank you, Lord, for these that have come. Lord, for their love for you and their desire to, to, to love others the way you would have them to. Now, blessed Spirit of the living God, would, would you work in hearts and lives in such a way, Lord, that we're able to undertake to love as you would have us to love. Lord, difficult issues, hard things to face. But Lord, would you undertake, would you do it for us? In Jesus' precious name, amen.